Okay. All right. Praise God. This uh, Emmaus girls, those are uh, uh, sisters from our uh, campus ministry at Yonsei. I think they're having a sports sports day today. All right. Keep keep up the team spirit, P-Rock. All right. Praise the Lord. Let's turn to Haggai chapter 2. Turn to Haggai chapter 2 and keep it on verse 10. Uh, we will be uh, referring to this verse from time to time. Uh, was the media team, you guys able to put up some of the PowerPoint verses? All right, so uh, we're going to try something new today as well. As uh, some of the Bible verses I quote, we'll just throw it up there so that you can kind of see it for yourself when it goes up. All right. Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. Uh, our brother Brian, we read it already, so uh, I'm just going to go right into my message. I'm continuing uh, my sermon series on the book of Haggai. And uh, you notice that Haggai has two chapters, but it contains only, uh, four messages. That's noteworthy to uh, mention. And verse 10 of chapter 2, Haggai begins his third message. is dated December 18th, 520 B.C. Now the Lord gives uh the lord begins this third message by giving a little quiz to the priests all right so look with me in verse 12 the question goes if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food does it become holy does it become holy well, that's easy because you just keep reading the, ver- the verse and there's the answer, right? <coughs> now, you might be thinking, <coughs> what kind of question is this? What does this have to do with anything? You know, meat's just meat. You know, God got all of a sudden like you got a steak craving or something. Why do you want to start talking about meat? You eat meat, right? What's meat got to do with building the temple of the Lord? I ain't never seen, you know, a minister going around using a slab of meat and just anointing people with it and seeing people get, you know, you know, under the power of God. And what are we talking about? What kind of meat? Are we talking chicken, beef, pork? You know, why does God ask a question about meat? Now, this question in verse 12 may be senseless to us. But if you were a priest in the Old Testament and familiar with the law, it was a very natural question. Uh, in Exodus twenty-nine thirty-seven, bam! All right, pretty good. It says, seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. And the altar shall be most holy, and whatever touches the altar shall become holy. You see, when the <coughs> priest would shed the blood of animals at the altar and sacrifice them, you know, when, when they would sacrifice animals, where would all this take place? On the floor? Right? No, it will t- take place on the altar, right? So it will be on the altar. And the law says here, whatever touches the altar shall become holy. So if you take a little cute little, you know, lamb, maybe you have a little lamb, and you, and you place it on the altar, instantly the lamb becomes holy by coming in contact with the altar. And then the next moment, the priest lays hands on the little lamb. And we're not talking about an impartation here, right? And <coughs> the lamb... After the priest lays hands on this lamb, the lamb is going to be no longer making little cute lamb noises. Because the lamb is no longer a lamb. It's dead, right? What do we call a dead lamb on the altar? No, you call it meat. What do you think that people deal with it? After they sacrifice the animal, they will go and eat it. It's, it's meat, right? So since the lamb that was once alive touched the altar, one the, one the, once the priests were done sacrificing it, what they would have on their hands would be holy meat. Holy meat. Now, let me ask you a question. If you took this holy meat and you touched a piece of bread or wine or oil, does it become holy? 
Does it become holy? Okay, look in Leviticus 6.27. It's up there, right? In talking about holy meat, the Bible says, Whatever touches its flesh shall be holy. (laughs) So the law tells us that the meat of the sin offering has the same power of contagiousness as the altar. So if you take this holy meat and you touch something else, does it become holy? And the answer is, yes, it does. Yes, it does. But that's not what the Lord is asking here in in Haggai. That's not what the Lord is asking, right? Look at verse 12 again. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew. See, ESV doesn't flow very well here, right? It's like if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and then on another portion of that garment touches bread or meat or stew, the question is, does that object now become holy? By coming in contact with just the garment. Okay. That's the true question that God is asking here. And in other words, the holiness can be transmitted once from the meat to the garment, but can the holiness be transmitted twice? That's what God is asking here in Haggai 2.12. All right. I don't know if I did a good job of explaining that. Everybody with me? (laughs) And how did the priest answer? No, the priests did not believe that such consecration can be passed on without primary contact with either the altar or the holy meat. Without primary contact, there is no passing of this holiness. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to take a pause here because every Old Testament law and temple ritual is a shadow of spiritual truth that applies for us today. You see, by asking this question, God is pointing to the fact that holiness is not easily passed on. Think about it. You know, I can't have an altar call here today, lay hands on you, and instantly impart my devotional life to you. It just won't happen. I mean, even if I wanted to, I can't do it. I can't throw my spirituality at you like a football. If you, if, you, if you capture it, you got it. No, I can't. I can't do that. The Lord could use me to impart a spirit of prayer, or he can use me to impart the baptism of the spirit. That will get you going. But I cannot give you my devotional life. I can't give you what I've been building up for years. I can't do that. If this was possible, personally, I would find the most disciplined and righteous ministers of God on the earth. And I would just go pay whatever it takes to get to them and get an impartation from them. But the truth is, brothers and sisters, no one can give you their faith. You got to believe for yourself. You have to develop it for yourself. No one can give you their character and righteousness. You've got to build those things up for yourself. You know, as many of you are experiencing the outpouring of God's spirit and the baptism of fire in these last few weeks, you know, it's good to stay hungry for the Lord. I'm glad a lot of people this past week, they went to the IHOP conference and they were just loving it. They were just like, yeah, man, it's it crazy. It just people were getting blessed and get, got more impartations uh, from IHOP people and praise the Lord. And no matter what you go through, Let me encourage you, always stay hungry for the Lord. Amen? Always stay hungry for the Lord. But check this out. Don't you ever for a moment think that those impartations can serve as some shortcut for the lack of discipline in your life. Don't you think for a moment that these impartations can somehow serve as a shortcut to a deeper spiritual life that you're too lazy to invest in? Don't you fall into the trap of thinking that these impartations can replace the need for your own spiritual discipline, your own pursuit of character? Don't you take the prophetic as a badge for you to neglect studying the word of God? 
You may get mighty impartations, but without your own personal growth and holiness, you will only delay the functionality of your anointing, the effectiveness of your anointing. So you might be telling me, the fire of God did a mighty work in me. The fire of God has purged away all kinds of chronic desires for drugs, alcohol, and lust. Well, good. Praise the Lord. Most people will take months of counseling to bring forth those kinds of changes. You got it in one instant. Praise the Lord. That's the fire of God. Now, the question is, what are you going to do with your new beginning? You might have gotten the fire there, but I'm telling you, you did not get an instant impartation of holiness for your personal holiness. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Listen to me. If you want to live a holy life and draw closer to the Lord, you've got to go and touch the altar for yourself. Holiness is not transmitted through secondary contact. Hallelujah. And you know what? Touching the altar is not easy to do this. You got to remember, physically in the Old Testament, the altar was a very messy place. There were blood stains everywhere. It was a place of death. And you know what? Today, it continues to be a messy place. Have you ever seen an anointed altar call? Uh, It does not look pretty. All kinds of people slobbering and crying and ah, no dignity. They just just crying all over the altar. It's messy. It's messy. Hallelujah. (coughs) People come forward. The altar is the place where people sacrifice their selfish ambitions. It's the place where they lay down and sow a thousand dollar seed with tears. The altar is the place where people put to death their pride, selfishness, and lust. And the altar is not about, it's not all about your death either. The altar is also the place where you discover the richness of Christ's death. You know, when you can't get to a physical altar at a church, God will reveal to you another altar in your prayer closet. And it's called the cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God for this altar. Cause it's, it's a mobile altar that will go with you anywhere, any place, anytime. You know, some altars get so crowded, you can't, you can't come up. You're just like, man, it's too crowded. I can't go up. This altar is always open. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's open 24-7. Hallelujah. There's always space here. At the cross, all kinds of sacrifices and repentance have been made by men and women throughout all of history. It's a messy place. But brothers and sisters, it's a good place to be. If you want true holiness, you've got to touch the altar frequently. Now, there, are two, there were two ways that holiness could be transmitted. We just looked at it through the Old Testament passages. All right, it was through the altar, and what else? Through the holy meat. If you touched any of these by primary contact, there would be a transmission of holiness. Glory to God. We don't have holy meat today that we got to go find and, and touch and somehow receive a transmission of holiness because the animal sacrifices of the old testament tabernacle and temple they were fulfilled in the sacrifice of god's lamb the lamb of god jesus christ so christ's death fulfilled all the animal sacrifices of the old testament see meat is called meat because it's dead hallelujah that's why some people have a hard time calling you know sushi meat they're like this thing's still living you know it's still alive you know, most people wouldn't call hanakji meat. You know, hallelujah. Meat, meat's called meat because it's dead. But we no longer go looking to touch a dead sacrifice for holiness. We get to go touch a living one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody's with me. If you want to be holy, you got to go and meet him. Hallelujah. You got to go and touch him. You got to give him the worship that do his name. He will make you holy. He will make you humble. He will make you wise. Hallelujah. 
You touch the Lamb of God. Oh, there's going to be a transmission. Brothers and sisters, I cannot take my spiritual walk and credit it to you so you can reap all its benefits. I cannot do that for you. You got to build it up for yourself. Holiness is not transmitted through me. It's transmitted through Christ. Hallelujah. So stop trying to look to me or look into the leaders of the church or to my sermons to magically help you grow while you refuse to deal with your private walk. You got to get plenty of primary contact with the altar and the lamb. Hallelujah. Everyone say, from this day on, I will pursue the holiness of God. Hallelujah. That's why a lot of times when people don't have that heart, they don't go meet Jesus. They don't come up to an altar call. They don't go to the cross of Jesus Christ. Why? Because in, in the heart of hearts, they don't want holiness. But people who really desire God and really desire holiness, they're going to go to that altar. I mean, they're going to come up to the altar when, when it's not even their altar call. You know, hey, come, you know, if you, if you, if you want to get saved, come up to the altar. You know, people just come up anyway. If you, if you have a healing testimony, come up to the altar. Hey, man, do you have a healing testimony? No. What are you doing here? Because they're just, they just, they just want to come to the altar every chance they get. They know that when they touch that altar, when they touch and they come and meet the lamb, they know something's being transformed in them. They're building up their personal holiness. Hallelujah. Look at, look at Haggai chapter two, verse 13 and 14. <coughs> Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. The second question that the Lord asked the priests Regards defilement or, or uncleanliness. Right? The question is, is defilement contagious? The law of God said, uh, I don't have these verses up, Leviticus 22 and Numbers 19. The law of God said that if anyone touches a dead body, that person is ceremonially unclean. You touch a dead body, now you're unclean. Because if you really think about it, death is what? The wages of sin. So death is like the ultimate symbol for sin. So if you touch death, God is saying, man, you are defiled. You're unclean. And you, there were certain ceremonies you had to follow to make sure you got clean again. Hallelujah. So if that person who just touched the dead body comes in contact with any other object, that object will now become unclean. Hey, you want to borrow my coat? No, I don't want to borrow your coat. Your coat is unclean. I mean, that object will now be unclean. Then, and then if that unclean object came into contact with somebody new, that someone new would also become unclean. In other words, defilement is like chicken pox in an orphanage. John Michael knows what I'm talking about. It just spreads very easily. That is a spiritual truth we need to heed today. Most of us don't, we don't take, we don't heed this warning. You know, you can observe this truth when you, when you see Christians hang out with non-believers. Even if the Christian, even if the Christian has the intention to evangelize to his friends, right? <clears throat> what do we see most often? Right? The Christian goes out to hang out with these friends, goes to the places that they go to, and, 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 and they, and they go to these places and they do and they, and they hang out for a little while. What happens? It usually doesn't take long to see that Christian backslide into a life of compromise. Or what about the case of a Christian dating or even marrying a non-Christian? You know, when I, when I was a younger and teenage, when I was a teenager, a pastor showed us this illustration. He says, you guys don't, do not date non-Christians. And then he showed us this illustration. He said, uh, and he got up on top of a chair and he asked another student to come. And he says, I am the Christian. This student here is a non-Christian. 
If we are dating, now try to pull me up. And he tried to pull the other person up. He's trying to pull them up onto the chair. And then he tells the other person, now pull me down. And they easily just pull them down. He said, you see what happened? It's much easier for the non-Christian to pull a Christian down than it is for that Christian to pull them up. (laughs) Have you ever wondered why it's always easier for a non-Christian to pull a Christian down rather than vice versa? That's because holiness is not easily transmitted, but sin is. This is why the Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, BAM! Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. If you're dating a non-Christian, you are being unequally yoked with that person. In fact, if that person isn't even close to where where you're at spiritually, you're being unequally yoked. You know, and Paul wrote this command, having written 1 Corinthians 15.33. Bam! Bad company corrupts good character. That's why he wrote, do not be unequally yoked. Because he knows how easily defilement is spread. And you may have experienced this in your own Christian life. Growing up in your youth groups. Your youth group was going great. And then within the end of the year, everybody's living in sin. What happened? Holiness is not easily transmitted. But defilement is. This is why we practice church discipline. A good spirit-filled leader must be firm in dealing with church discipline and unrepentant leaders. I'll tell you why. When there are church leaders and members that are living in all kinds of willful sin and a pastor does not take steps to toward church discipline then that pastor is now responsible that per- pastor has now given an open door for the devil to spread all kinds of spirits to the rest of the church and god will hold that pastor responsible i see this happening in youth groups all the time let's say there's an upperclassman worship leader very good looking fella usually worship leaders are good looking I don't know why. Most of the time, they're good looking. <laughs> now, Brian's a very handsome guy. I'm very, I'm very surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised at how God, over and over, will always raise up good-looking worship leaders. But let's say there's a worship leader in your, in, your, in your church youth group, right, growing up. And then that worship leader becomes sexually active. And the pastor, instead of having him step down, he feels like his ministry is going to fall apart if he loses this gifted leader. So what does the pastor do? He keeps the leader in his position of authority while they try to help him deal and get him to stop sleeping around. (laughs) Immediately, the pastor has made his entire youth group vulnerable to a spirit of fornication. By the end of the year, the whole youth group is sexually active. The ministry does fall apart, but it's not because the worship leader stepped down. It's because he didn't step down. And the pastor burns out, disillusioned. Brothers and sisters, because defilement spreads quickly, the Bible is clear on practicing church discipline. 1 Corinthians 5.13, give it to me. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. So, regards to you, expel the wicked man from among you. People be like, well, that, that doesn't sound very Christ-like. Oh, well, it is Christ-like. That's exactly what Christ is telling us to do. If they're unwilling and you've given them enough grace to, to turn it around, especially if they're a leader... And they're not, they don't have any desire. And they're not showing forth any commitment to really turn it around. Guess what? You need to have that leader step down. And that leader continues to in that willful sin. You may even have to expel him from your church membership. 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. The Bible says, you are to deliver this man to Satan. 
Wow, I didn't know that was in the Bible. All right, you got to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. All right, the Bible does not pull any punches when it comes to church discipline. Why? Why? Because defilement spreads very quickly. That's why. Because of this reason, this is why the Bible also tells us to not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Man, I got, I got a whole bunch of people and they're all sanctabado. They're like, they're like all, sometimes they're hurt because we, we come up to them and I have some of the church leaders who look out for this. And, and, and at the, if I do an altar call and somebody comes up and starts laying hands on people at the altar, we'll say, hey, uh, young man, sit down. Hey, sister, hey, sister, uh, we know that you're a leader at the church, but you know what? Guess what? You're not authorized to lay hands right now. Go sit down. All right? And then they're like, well, why you got to be so harsh with the, with, the, with the altar call ministry? Why the laying on of hands? We were supposed to bless each other. Yeah, we're supposed to bless each other. But the laying on of hands, when there's an impartation made, it's a very powerful thing. And the person you pray for is very vulnerable. And because defilement spreads so quickly, if a person is struggling in a certain area, and that's, that person got a spirit of depression on them, and the other person has a vulnerability and a susceptibility toward the depression, that person can lay hands and just spread that spirit of despair onto the, on the next person with a quickness. That's why the altar ministry has to be protected. It's got to be covered. So if you're not authorized to lay hands, guess what? Go sit down and get over it. And when God authorizes you to do that, then you can lay hands as much as you want. Hallelujah. If you're Andres Pisoni, hallelujah, go ahead. Lay hands as much as you want. But the Bible says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Hallelujah. Keep yourself pure. 1 Timothy 5.22. Now going back to Haggai chapter 2. The priests answer correctly to the second question. And the Lord responds with verse 14. Verse 14. Check it out. So is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer is unclean. God is saying that everything that the Jewish people are doing and offering is unclean. They have become defiled and everything that proceeds from them is defiled. Hallelujah. And considering that the Jews haven't committed like some heinous sin, like idolatry or witchcraft, at first glance, it seems that God is being quite harsh here. But upon closer investigation, we must keep in mind that in chapter 1 of Haggai, God indicted the Jews and brought his charges against them. And what were they? Right? God was telling them, through my purpose and my favor, I opened up doors for you exiles to return to Jerusalem. I provided the provisions for you to rebuild the temple. But after laying down the foundation, you have refused to finish the work. You see, the Jews, they took on a selfish attitude. And they used God's favor to put their personal comforts first. They were living in their paneled houses, their luxury condos. Hallelujah. Nothing wrong with living in a luxury condo as long as you're putting God first. But they were doing all these things and the people encouraged each other. Build, let's build our own houses and let's wait for a more opportune time to finish the work of the temple. And this didn't last for like 16 days. It lasted for 16 years. 16 years of this kind of attitude. And in the sight of God, this sin had defiled the entire remnant. And nothing that they did after this was pure. Everything was unclean in the sight of God. Yeah, a lot of people, they, they, they refuse to believe this. They refuse to believe this. They think that as long as they... Bring to God something, something honorable that God will accept it, that God is pleased with it. Uh, in the Expositor's Bible Commentary, it says, 
when attitudes are wrong, nothing given to God is really acceptable. So whatever these people offered was defiled. <laughs> you know what? When you're not aiming to be 100% right with the Lord, if you're not aiming to put his kingdom first, if you're not aiming to make God the center and the highest object of your affections, if you are not aiming to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you are not aiming to put God first, even above your family, even above your comforts, even upon your own ambitions, if you are not aiming to relate to God 100% rightly, everything you offer God will be unclean. And that, that's, a hard, that's a hard word to swallow. You may be doing ministry, but you feel distant and estranged from God. And you're always angry at God. Why, Lord, why aren't you helping me out? You might give God a large offering, but in God's sight, the aroma is not pleasing. If you're not living right before the Lord, if you're not seeking his perfect will for your life, if you are not pursuing a holy life, a 100% holy life, if you're not pursuing that, if you're not submissive to spiritual authority, then all of your prayers, all of your devotions, all of your service, all of your sacrifice and praise, they will all feel like they're hitting a ceiling. You will feel like the sky above you is like iron. Have you ever felt like that? Where you are offering to God all these things and it feels like the sky is iron. You know, when you're not aiming to be 100% right with the Lord, every blessing you seek from God will be unanswered. Now, a lot of us, we want to seek God's blessing and live under his blessing. But if you're not relating to the Lord 100% rightly, you're not seeking to put him number one, Every blessing of God you seek will be unanswered. Every business venture and romantic relationship may start out good, but it will end up empty. You, you will envy those who are experiencing God's favor, and you are unable to celebrate what God is doing in their life and rejoice with them. Look at If you look at Haggai 2, verses 15 to 19, I'm not going to read it, but if you look through 15 through 19, this is exactly what the Jews experienced. Everything they did was cursed. It wasn't blessed. It was cursed. They would go in and expect 20 and see, they see 10. Another time they would go in to draw 50, that there would be only 20. Well, I thought we were working on half, Lord. What's going on now? Well, God's just cursing them. And this is what the Jews experienced. Everything they did was cursed. And what they felt was that the ground beneath them, they felt like it was bronze. It wasn't producing any crops like they were expecting. And what I just quoted for you guys is Leviticus 26, verses 18 to 20. If you look up there, it says, If after all this you will not listen to me, I will punish you for your sins seven times over. I will break down your stubborn pride and make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze. Your strength will be spent in vain because your soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of the land yield their fruit. Brothers, the curses for disobedience are quite serious and scary. Yet there are so many Christians today, they do not aim to live in a place where they are rightly relating to God 100%. They settle for good enough. They don't pursue His holiness. They pick and choose which areas of their life they're going to let God into. God, you can have my Sunday life. God, you can have my small group, but you cannot have my dating relationship. You, cannot, you, you do not have a say in my romantic relationships. You cannot touch my boyfriend. And that's the attitude that people have. 
They put such a high priority on their own comfort that kingdom purposes always take second place. Let me tell you something. Kingdom purposes only have one place and one place only. If it's not in that one place, it's in the wrong place. God will not be pleased with you when you put kingdom purposes third, fourth, or second. If it's not first, it's in the wrong place. And when you live this way, everything you do and everything you offer God will be unclean and unacceptable. The Bible asks, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And the answer is, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. We're not talking about perfect performance. We're talking about what is the pursuit of your heart? What are you aiming for? What is your target? You know, you can't have clean hands even if you had seven quiet times every day of the week this past week. Doesn't mean you got clean hands. Only way you can truly have clean hands is to have a pure heart before God, aim for his holiness, and know that it can only be provided to you through the cross of Jesus Christ. There is both grace and discipline, like the wings on a plane, that must both be going out together for you to truly fly and soar in your spiritual walk. (coughs) People of God, If you want to be involved in work that is pleasing to God, if you want to present offerings that are always acceptable, then I just got one word for you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Brothers and sisters, everybody say, from this day on, on, I will seek his kingdom and righteousness first. Some of us think just because we're not involved with some kind of immorality that God is pleased with us. Just because we're serving at the church, God is pleased with us. But when when you look through the scriptures, God never was looking for sacrifice. God's always looking for obedience. Obedience is always a matter of the heart. What is the aim of your heart? (laughs) And just as the Jews returned to build the temple... The Lord says, us, says to us today, put my kingdom first in your heart. And look at the last verse of, of this passage, verse 19. Look at the last portion of verse 19. It says, from this day on, I will bless you. <laughs> and through the word of Haggai, the Jews were beginning to return to the Lord and began rebuilding the temple. And as they did that, See, their hearts were putting God's kingdom first. And then God sees that and says, from this day on, I will bless you. You don't have to make up for 16 years of righteousness, what you've done for 16 years of backsliding. Just make right with me today. And from this day on, I will bless you. You will be the head and not the tail. You will lend and not borrow. The blessings and favor of God will chase you down and overtake you if you will keep his kingdom first in your life. Nothing you do will fail. So the question is, from this day, from this day on, what will you do? From this day on, what will you do? Let's pray. You know, brothers and sisters, God has called each of us into a relationship with him. But God has also called us not only just into that relationship, that's central and that's first, but God has also purposes and work for you to do while you're on the earth. Jesus said in John seventeen four, he said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus 
when he was on the earth, there was specific work that the father wanted him to accomplish. And Jesus said, I completed that work. You see, on the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus didn't say, it is started. He said, it is finished. Why? Because every work that God has set apart for Jesus to do while he was on the earth, Jesus completed it. He accomplished it. But let me tell you something here today. You will never accomplish and complete the work of God, your purpose for, for this earth. You will never complete the purpose of God for you on this earth unless you're putting God's kingdom first, unless you're pursuing a life of holiness, not aiming for good enough, but you're aiming for holiness, purity, integrity, love. Hallelujah. So I'm right now, I'm going to just uh, ask uh, Sister Egan, Egan Nuna, could you come up? <coughs> I'm going to do an altar call real quick. This is what God showed me during, during the time of worship earlier. There's some of you in here. You haven't been living holy. You haven't been living holy. Or, or you, you haven't been particularly evil, but you know in your heart that you haven't been putting God first. And as you're living your life, you feel like everything you do is cursed. You feel like God has something out against you. And you see, brothers and sisters, when you're not putting God first, when you're not putting that relationship with him first, you're not putting his work first, if you're not seeking his kingdom first, everything you do will feel like it's cursed. Like the sky is iron and the ground beneath you is bronze. That's what you're going to feel like. But God does that, not to spite you, but God does that, that you may return to the Lord. In Haggai chapter 2, God said, I did all these things and showed them as signs for disobedience. And yet they did not return to me, says the Lord. Sometimes, you see, if God prospers you in your disobedience, guess what? You'll never return to the Lord. And there's some people in here today, you feel like everything you're a part of, every prayer that you lift up, it just feels like it's going to nothing. And for those people... I'm going to invite you to stand up. If you want to put, if you want to say from this day on, I am going to put the kingdom of God first. If you want to say from this day on, I will pursue a life of holiness. I will aim for it. I might fail, but I will aim for that holiness and nothing less. And by the grace of God, I will continue and I will have victories. I might have falls, but I will never fall from this aim to pursue holiness. And that's you here today. I want you to stand up to your feet right now. I want you to stand up to your feet. <laughs> if you've been putting God first already in your life, look, don't stand up. Look, this is, not, this is not an altar call for everybody. This is for people that know you've been living in sin, there are secret sins, and, and you, you struggle so long for it, with it, that Instead of aiming for holiness, you've been aiming for good enough. You need to change that. This day, from this day on, you've got to start pursuing holiness once again. Or there's a lot of people you are not involved with wicked things, but you're not putting God number one. You need to stand up. From this day on, I will serve the Lord. I will seek his kingdom first. I will put his righteousness first. Hallelujah. All right, if you're standing up right now, I want you to quickly move out of your seat. Come forward to the altar right now. Come forward to the altar. Come to the altar. Come to the altar. Don't look to me to lay hands on you. Come and touch the altar of Jesus Christ. Come and touch the cross of Christ. Come to the place of repentance. Come and, and look and gaze upon the Lamb. Repent and touch the altar and he will cleanse you. He will give you a new beginning. From this day on, if you will pursue holiness and put the kingdom of God first, God says over you, from this day on, you will be blessed.
but come forward. You got to touch the altar for yourself. I can't do it for you. I can't do it for you. So all over this place, if you're at the altar right now, start talking to God. Start talking. Get on your knees. Do what you got to do, but start touching that altar. Come to the Lord. Come to the Lord fully and make your stand today. Make your stand today. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on, people of God, the rest of us, let's begin to just pray for the people that are coming forward. There's a couple of you. There's a couple of you that the Lord is still calling. Come forward. Touch the altar. If you want to keep living a life where you feel like the sky is iron and the ground is bronze, well, you can free, free, feel free to do so. But if you want the blessing of God, if you want to live under His favor and His goodness and His blessing, you got to put Him first. You got to put Him first. There's no other place that you can put God but number one. Yes, the only place where he is worthy of. That's the only place where he will go. Come on, there's one more, there's one more. Lord, draw them. Draw them, Lord. Draw them near, Lord. <laughs> Come on, talk to him. Talk to him. You got to talk to him for yourself. Nobody can talk to him for you. Now the rest of us, come on, pray for these people. Let's pray for the people of God that are coming forward. For some people, this is a huge breakthrough. Come on, there's still one person out there. You're, you're resisting, you're resisting the leading of the Spirit. Do not grieve the Spirit of God. He's drawing you near. He's doing it for your good. Yes, Lord. 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 Yes, 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 Hallelujah. I'm going to lead each, every person at the altar and only the people at the altar. You're going to repeat after me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and this prayer is going to break. It's going to be a breaking in the spirit realm. And there's going to be a commitment that you're bringing to God today. There's a turning of repentance that's happening today. And as you come step forward like this and you and you confirm it through the words that come out of your mouth and out overflowing from your heart in faith, God's going to bless you. And you're going to start seeing changes in your life right away. So you're gonna I'm going to ask everyone at the altar right now, I want you to repeat after me. Lord Father, I acknowledge that you are a gracious God. Lord, you do not treat me as my sins deserve. Come on, make it loud. Lord, you are so patient with me. And it is your kindness that leads me to repentance.
And for some of you, this is going to apply to you right now. Lord Father, I confess that I've sinned. I've been living in willful sin. There are areas of my life that I have not fully repented of. I've been aiming for good enough. And today I throw that away. And I aim for your holiness, Lord. And this is going to apply to some others. Lord Father, I confess. There's a lot of important things in my life. You are one of them. But I confess that you are not number one. Lord, I want you to take the throne of my heart today. From this day on, I will pursue a life of holiness. From this day on, I will seek his kingdom and righteousness first. And from this day on, the curse is broken off my life. I will be blessed. I will be blessed. I will be blessed. Come on, clap it up if you believe it. Lord, where some of these people here, oh God, they've been experiencing like the sky is iron. Lord, shatter it, Lord. Where they feel like their ground has been like bronze, oh God. Lord, destroy it, oh God. Open it up, break it up, oh God. And I pray that as they put you first in their life, from this day on, I pray that from this day on, they will be blessed. That they will be the head and not the tail. They will lend and not borrow. And everything that they put their hand to, you will prosper them. And that you will make them, you will bless them to be a blessing to all nations, oh God. I thank you, oh God, for every, every person that's come forward here. Bless them, Lord. I thank you. I praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's glorify our God. Hallelujah. <laughs> amen. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, you may be seated. Pastor Marcus will come up at this time.